0: Hello. You are listening to Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. My name is Bettina. And this is episode 20. Oh my gosh. We're so excited. So just like episode 10, we'll be covering the exact same place for both the true crime and the paranormal. Same place, different Different time. time. Since mom did the paranormal aspect, what did you bring us to drink?
1: Yes, I was also in charge of the alcohol, and I deviated from the beer. (laughs) I choose the beer, yes. (laughs) Yes. And I usually do the cocktails. So I was surprised, but probably many listeners know this. There's actually a rye whiskey that is made in Iowa, and it's made in Templeton, Iowa. Templeton? It's called Templeton Rye. I know you're thinking of Wilbur.
0: Yeah, oh my gosh. I was like, (laughs) Templeton, Templeton. Is that in Charlotte's Web? The rat in Charlotte's Web? Yes.
1: Yeah. So I didn't get the rye because I'm not particularly fond of rye, and I don't think you are. I don't even know what that is. So I happen to have (laughs) some whiskey at home, and this cocktail can be made with either rye or whiskey, and it's called a whiskey daisy cocktail.
0: Oh, okay.
1: All right. So it's kind of fun. It's very strong. <laughs> oh. so Strong whiskey. Would like That's right to... not up my alley. Cheers. Okay.
0: All right. Mm, this is not my beverage of choice. This will be interesting. <laughs> Mom is dying at my facial expression.
1: She loves it <laughs>
0: so i taste citrusy like an orange
1: Mm -hmm. it's two ounces of whiskey one ounce of lemon juice a fourth ounce of simple syrup and i kind of twisted it and put in maple syrup because that's what a whiskey sour is so this is basically a whiskey sour except it has also a half an ounce of grand marnier in it
0: oh okay that adds that's a isn't that like an orange liqueur? Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And then you're supposed to just put sparkling water, just a splash to make it a little fizzy. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have sparkling. So you guys had some bubble, orange bubble soda. Bub- bubbly. Yeah. And so I just put a splash of the orange of the bubbly. Orange bubbly in there? In there.
0: That's what I taste. I kind of like, I I like that aspect of it. It's the aftertaste that I'm.
1: The whiskey. That made me make the faces. <laughs> <laughs> So, the only difference between a whiskey sour and this is the Grand Marnier and the soda. soda okay. Water. Soda. I mean, I'm
0: going to drink it. It's not terrible.
1: Oh, well, good. Because <laughs> I don't think I could drink both of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm.
1: All right. So, I'm going to sit back and enjoy my whiskey daisy. Whiskey daisy. Well, I need a, another little shot of this a before sweet. I get
0: going. Okay. So... So maybe you knew this about me and maybe you don't, but I have two kids, two toddlers actually, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Beautiful boys. Oh yes, beautiful boys that are very time-consuming, very active, very busy boys. And with the subject matter of our podcast, I really can't do research necessarily around them. Right. Actually, funny story, I was doing research, looking into some research on a couple subjects, And I was looking into Ed Gein, actually. Oh. And I was curious about, just because that's who I am, about his nipple belt. (laughs) And there are pictures on the internet. And I was looking at my phone and looking at pictures of this. And Aiden was at school. And Nolan was taking a nap. It was very good timing for my research. Go to pick Aiden up from school. And he asks to listen to a specific song on Spotify. I don't like to be on my phone when I drive. So I handed my phone back to him. Oh, no. With Spotify open so that he could, he, he knows like the album covers. <laughs> and so I handed my phone back to him and so he could look and he goes, mommy, what are all these boobies? Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. I was traumatized. I, I you were
1: traumatized. Well, <laughs> he didn't
0: was. know. And I, I'm so... Now I really have to plan my research time very well.
1: And hide it.
0: Yes. So I either do it during nap time when I know that they're both asleep or when they go to bed at night. So this research for this episode was a little different. I don't know why. Maybe because there were children affected in it. Once again. Why do I always get the true two <laughs> crime with kids? I don't get it. And you pick this one. I don't know. But. I do think it's fair for me to give fair warning that the episode is not for the faint of heart for sure. I don't know if you experienced the same thing when you were doing the paranormal research of this story, but this one was really eerie and really sat with me. And I don't know why. I I really don't know why. I literally had my husband stay up the night that I was doing research on this episode. I had him stay up and like he would start to drift and I would kind of nudge him to keep him up because (laughs) poor Alex I just uh, I don't know I I, this one really sat with me weird this case took place way before serial killers were a known thing over a hundred years ago to be exact it will be exactly 108 years ago this week and we did not plan that no we didn't as I was doing research as Alex was falling asleep (laughs) I went Oh my gosh, Alex. Oh my gosh. This happened June 9th. And he's like oh, oh, oh. <laughs> waking up. And he's like, "Okay." Oh. And I was like, "And this episode airs on June 8th." <laughs> yeah, he didn't care very much, but it was also like, past
1: midnight. Oh, <laughs> well, that's just like 2 weeks ago when I did the Hindenburg and I introduced the bottle of German yeah, wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I realized read, the bottle was from New from Jersey. New Jersey, which is the state we were covering. Weird things, friends,
0: weird things. <laughs> so anyway, back to this story. The case we're covering in this episode happened in Vallisca, Iowa. Villisca sits on the southwest region of the state. It's a railroad town and it was established in 1868. It was a busy little town with a train depot many merchants and churches. It was a tight-knit community of about 2,000 to 2,500 people. Oh, it's bigger than what I thought. When my story begins in 1912. A community with a great love of town and country. Children played freely and residents helped one another. The town was named by their founders, believing the word meant pretty place. It is said, though, that it actually takes after the Indian word Williska, meaning evil spirit no which really shows itself in 1912 when the town was witness to the most horrific murders ever in the state of iowa the population of alaska was only at 1200 as of the 2010 census oh it had dropped showing that that over the years the town has slowed down a bit and becoming smaller many historic businesses and homes have been shut down or torn down except one home One faithful home still stands and has been maintained, keeping its original appearance. It now sits at 508 East 2nd Street and is known as the Villisca Axe Murder House. Back in 1912, the home was owned by Josiah Moore. Let's call him Joe. Okay. And his wife, Sarah. They had four children, Herman, 11, Mary Catherine, 10, Arthur Boyd, who has no age on my notes. <laughs> I think he was seven, seven. He was seven or eight. Sorry, Boyd. And Paul, five. Joe was known as a leader in the community. He worked on the church's school board, was prominent in the town's activities. He worked for the local hardware store for nine years before opening his own company, working as a hardware implement dealer. Doing fairly well and becoming one of the town's most prominent businessmen. I read that John Deere was actually a client of his. Mm -hmm. Sarah was also very active in the community, especially in the family's Presbyterian church. She'd actually organized one of the community's big events for Sunday evening, June 9th, 1912.
1: From everything that I read, they were a very liked and respected family.
0: Very, very much so. It was the Children's Day program that she organized down at their church. The family dressed and walked to the event, with the program starting at 8 p.m. that Sunday evening. Afterwards, they mingled a bit with friends and the children played. Catherine asked if the Stillinger sisters, Lena, 12, and Ina, 8, could come sleep over that evening. Joe phoned the girls home to inform their parents. Their older sister had answered the phone and said that her parents were not yet home from the Children's Day Festival, but that she would leave them a message. Joe and Sarah gathered up the six children and made their walk home. They returned home between 9.45 and 10 o'clock that evening. The next morning around 5.30, the neighbor noticed the Moore home was questionably quiet. She grew concerned as she hung her laundry. By 7 a.m., she was very worried. At this time, she would have seen at least one of the children out doing chores, feeding the animals, letting the chickens out of the coop, or even just playing in the yard. Some movement. Exactly, but nothing. She walked over to the home and knocked on the door. The front door was locked. Shades were drawn and no noise was coming from the home. She let the chickens out of the coop herself, then went home to call Joe's brother, Ross. He was a druggist in town. Ross came over and he too knocked, tried windows, and he even like tried to yell into the home, but no answer. With the spare key, a skeleton key, I read. So I don't know if it was hidden or if he had it but he had a key to get into the locked home okay jo- joe came from a larger family then mm-hmm. a lot of them still lived in town so maybe one of them had it i couldn't get in th- that answer from sources but make note ross had a skeleton key to get into the locked home ross opens the door and inside is totally dark remember there's no electricity at this all time right the shades were all drawn There was what looked to be some kind of cloth or something covering all the windows, kind of squished up in the front windows. Ross walked through the front parlor and into the only bedroom on the main floor, which was Catherine's bedroom. He sees what looks like two bodies lying in the bed covered in the sheets, but knows something is horribly wrong when he sees that there is blood splatter all over the headboard. He leaves right away to call Henry Hank Horton, the marshal in the town. Now, Hank had been the marshal for the town for the last six years Mm -hmm. with no police training. He was a carpenter by trade and not a lot of policing was really needed in the small town. Right. So I got a lot of my information from Dr. Ed Epperly. There's a few interviews with him and he wrote a lot of things about this case. Mm-hmm. He's a historian. He learned about it in college and did a paper on it and became obsessed. It became his hobby. So and he, he doesn't live in Velasca. No. And he said that his basement is filled with stuff that he's found all handwritten notes. and He interviewed people that lived there at the time. So it was a really awesome source to get all this information I from. Guess. I watched this interview that was a little tough to watch because he was probably in his late 60s. And mm-hmm. he talked really slow, you know, that Midwest <laughs> talks slower and, you know, stops a drink from his water bottle. <laughs> so and it was like, you know, an old man sitting outside the barbershop telling his story, but he is put so much of his life into investigating this and researching it and looking into stuff and going to the crime scene time after time and wow it's he really dedicated a lot of his life to this case so it was really i mean he interviewed people that were alive at the time it was really cool to get it sit and watch this interview that happened on it was a big hobby of his that he really turned into a really big part of his life. So anyway, he said in the interview that, you know, not a lot of policing was needed at the time. Maybe they would go around and jiggle the doorknobs at the merchants to make sure that they locked up at the end of their shift. Or most of Iowa was actually a dry state at the time. So he didn't really have to deal with a lot of drunks, but maybe a couple. And it was a train depot. So maybe he had to deal with a couple hobos here and there. But he really didn't have a lot of policing that he had to deal with. So Hank and Ed Sully, uh, who was a clerk from Joe's Implement Store, arrived around 830 in the morning and went into the home. It was now this is a quote from Hank. Dark as night in there. He lit a match. He went into the bedroom on the main floor. They, too, see the two forms of the two figures in the bed covered by the sheets. They see an axe sitting up against the south wall of the room. Next to the axe is a four pound slab of bacon wrapped in a cloth. There's a lamp on the floor at the foot of the bed. It was unlit. He raises the blinds and sees that it was a black skirt that had been pulled from the dresser in the room and was covering most of the mirror on the dresser. It had been placed there by the killer. He pulls back the sheets and finds two small, unrecognizable bodies. Heads bludgeoned. Later, it would be discovered that these were the bodies of the Stillinger sisters. Hank said to Ed, all right, let's go upstairs. And Ed went back on the front porch. (laughs) Oh, I don't know, because he couldn't take the gruesome scene or if maybe he thought the killer was still in the house. But that was it. That's the last he could take. Well, that would be horrible to see. Oh, absolutely. Hank goes through the kitchen, making note of a plate of uneaten food on the table with a pot of bloodied water next to it. Through the kitchen, it leads to a very narrow, steep set of stairs that leads up to the second story. As soon as you step off the top step onto a large landing, this was the master bedroom. Oh. There's no hallway. No you just step Again. right into no. it. Yep. So if you can even call it a master bedroom, this landing was where their bed was and this is where Joe and Sarah slept. Hank finds two bodies also covered with a sheet and another lamp unlit on the floor at the foot of the bed. Upon inspecting, he finds it is Joe and Sarah, heads bludgeoned. Assuming they were killed with the same axe found downstairs. There are two other rooms up on this floor. Off this landing is one bedroom that was shared by the three boy children of the home. Upon inspecting this room, he finds a cot with a little body in it, mm-hmm. head bludgeoned. This would be Herman Moore. A couch with a little body in it, head bludgeoned. This was Catherine Moore. And a bed with two little bodies, this would be the younger, more children, Boyd and Paul. Oh, make you This sick. was just the initial findings. He just kind of went through the home basically to just... Make sure someone
1: wasn't alive.
0: Yes. He came out and his quote is, My God, Ross, there is someone murdered in every bed. Hank heads to town or calls to town. I'm not exactly sure. Sources... We're back and forth on that. But regardless, he calls and gets a hold of Dr. Cooper. So historian Ed stated that the murder spread through the town with, quote, Internet speed. Mm. The operator at the switchboard pulled the all call switch, which called all the phones in town oh. with the message of the murders. Oh my gosh. By the time Hank and the two doctors went back through the home to determine the identities and the situation in the home, there was already a crowd of people gathering at Mm -hmm. the house. Businesses closed. The mayor ordered it as such. And hundreds upon hundreds of people came to the home, going into the home. An interviewed townsperson said they stood outside as, quote, troops of people toward
1: the home. Okay. I, I've gotta interrupt here because I read that also and okay, we have a morbid fascination with true yes. crime. Yes. And that's true. But I'm sorry. The last thing I'd want to do is actually go through a house where somebody I know mm-hmm. has been murdered and to see their bodies. Yes. I agree. I would not want to see that.
0: Where you kinda have to think though is there's no internet. There's no pictures. There's no serial killers. The town had actually only witnessed or heard of one killing two years prior to this. And it was actually a domestic dispute. So it wasn't like some in you know, the whole Random. family or anything like this is such an uncommon thing. So, yes, we obviously are drawn to this podcast because we have this fascination with this topic. True crime. And we can sit here and we can Google it and we can see pictures of the crime scene that I don't even like. St- doing that I <laughs> tell you the truth but like i do i, I don't Ugh. like seeing it but it helps me visualize the story and stuff and and some people don't want to see it and some people do want to see it but we have that where we can just get on the internet or we can watch you know a movie with it or a show
1: with it or true like, and people used to gather for hangings yes exactly and,
0: you know because so. you have to think we they didn't have the internet or anything like that not that this is entertainment by any means but it is such a new thing I don't think they even fully realized what they were walking into when they walked into that home. People mm. were just screaming. It was just absolute turmoil in that home. People were just running through And then it. when you hear screaming then you're like, Oh my God, I gotta go see what Exactly. So So no, I don't understand it. I would not wanna go in there. But if it was a new thing and, you know, you and your neighbors are gonna go see well, what's everybody screaming about? What's going on in there? Mm. Not that that makes it right by any means, but
1: well, right or wrong, who are we to judge? But still, I'm just ugh.
0: I know it's crazy, though. that. So the coroner, his last name was Lindquist. He had to travel in from the next town over and he arrived at the home around 930 that morning. And while he was investigating the deaths, it was a, quote, madhouse. People were running through the home screaming It was hordes of people. I guess Bruce Steelings. He was a younger guy. He was like 19 or 20. His dad owned the drugstore in another town. He took a small camera. Oh. And took photos for the Omaha newspaper. Oh, no. And as he was coming out, though, Ross saw this and got into this huge wrestling match with him. (laughs) And Ross stomped on the camera. He was just furious. He was so furious with all these people in the home. And you got to think, too, they I guess they had some kid who was like the night guard in the town. Try to, like, keep people out. But he's just some kid kid. And and everybody in town knows who he is. So it's just like, ah, kid, get out of the way. I want to see what's going on. Like, there was no nobody could control anything. Again, there's no policing. There's no training for this. I mean, I just can't imagine. It was just absolute chaos, chaos. Exactly. There was an owner of the local pool hall. He had actually come through and taken a piece of Joe's skull. What? He took it to the pool hall to show it off to all of his dudes. It was like this big thing. He put it up on a shelf there. Are you kidding me? So I guess he sold the pool hall and the skull piece stayed there. It was like one by two inches big. And oh. anyway, he left the skull at the pool hall when he sold it. And the new owner found it. And by chatting with people, again, it's a small town, they told him like what it was. He took it home and he showed his wife. Oh, my God. And she's like, oh, hell no. Get that thing out of no here. No kidding. So the next day on his way home into work or on the way home into work. wonky. <laughs> on his way into work, he just chucked it into the gutter. Ah. Uh. That's a piece of a person. Mm -mm. Doesn't matter. Just so freaking weird. So the investigation begins after all these people and still trying to push people out. So let's talk about the mirrors being covered. Yeah. Everybody's talking about how this is some and I'm sure I mean, you'll tell the paranormal, but I'm sure Zach turned it into some big (laughs) demonic possession or, you know, ritual of some kind. Honestly, I'm sure the killer just didn't want to see or something. But the skirt was like thrown over the mirror. Like it was just kind of thrown there. It wasn't covering the entire mirror. It was just kind of thrown there, hmm. and the windows being covered, yeah, probably because didn't want the murder did it at night, and they didn't want to see. It's a small again. It's a small town. He didn't want people to see like a light moving around inside the home or something. So the children had actually only been hit in the head. Once, maybe twice, but massive blows, though, just once. And it looked like they had been hit by the butt of the axe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sarah was the only one that showed any evidence that the sharp end of the axe was used on her. She had like slices in her face, whereas everybody else. It literally was bludgeoned with the butt of the axe. Mm -hmm. The bedroom downstairs with the two Stillinger sisters, It's a little more curious, though. The older sister, Lena, was almost 12 and her arm was up above her head. Her undergarments had been taken off and thrown under the bed Mm -hmm. and her her nightgown was pulled up covering her head. So she was naked from the waist down. She was also a third of the way down the bed, ever so slightly hanging off. She had not been sexually abused. She had not Not been. Nobody had
1: been in the home.
0: Blood and brain tissue were up on the pillow. So evidence shows either two scenarios. One, she had woken up and she had been the only victim that had, they assume, Mm -hmm. because everybody was in the exact position where they would have been if when they were hit. Either she had woken up and that's why her hand was up like that to kind of protect her from a blow Mm -hmm. to the head. The other scenario used was evidence of a blood spot on her inner thigh. It kind of left them to believe that the killer had pulled her down the bed after he'd killed her ever so slightly posing her. Mm-hmm. What gives into this theory of posing her is because her the way her little sister was lying as well. She was lying on her stomach and her hips were turned in a way that her bottom was slightly up and hanging off the end of the bed. Mm. And then there's the bacon in the room. It was four pounds of bacon that had been cut from a big slab in the kitchen in the pantry, and either the killer just left it there and he was, was trying to steal it, or what they've they've assumed is that it was used as an artificial vagina. But there was no fluids, no hairs, or anything like that to suggest that he used it Did they know to masturbate it? or anything to the children that were
1: posed there. Did they know in nineteen twelve to? And that's probably a dumb question to look for that. And
0: See, that's what I kept questioning, but that's what this Dr. Ed Epperly kept saying in, in all the interviews. They were, they were saying that it was brought up that it might have been used as such, and that's what a lot of people suspected, And but there was no fluids found. There was no okay. signs that showed it was used as such. Okay. So maybe he was going to use it, or he was going to steal it, or regardless, the poor little girls were definitely posed in a, in a sexual, sexual manner. manner. Yeah back to Joe and Sarah's room there was evidence that maybe the killer had gone in there twice so I'm going to try to explain this because I had to read it a few times so Sarah's shoe was next to the bed Okay. okay and they assume he went in there twice because her shoe was filled with blood at one point oh but when they had come to investigate the scene the shoe was flipped over and blood was on the sole of the shoe so This can't be because there was a ton of people running around the house because by the time the people were running around the house, the blood was dried. So at one point, the blood was dripping into the shoe. Right. And then the killer either came because they were hit over 10 times. Joe and Sarah were. They were hit the most. So it's almost like he killed them and and the blood was dripping off the bed into her shoe. Yeah. And then he came back. The shoe flipped over. So now it's facing downwards. He, was he hit them again or this is what it's assumed because then the blood started dripping on the sole of the shoe. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, depending on how long it had taken because once they're dead, they don't bleed anymore. I mean, you know what I'm saying?
0: Well, the blood was dripping. So it, it dripped enough that it filled the shoe. but then at some point the shoe flipped over that the blood was still dripping. And it was now dripping onto the sole of the shoe. And that's how they found the evidence. Really? So again, this could not be happening when there's all these people running around, that the shoes flipped over because, because the, blood the blood dripped top of the sole. in both manners. Okay. And that's just, that's really interesting. And that's why they assume that he hit them a bunch of times, killed the children and maybe on his way out, hit them again. I, I don't know, but, but it's that assumed that he have came have back to twice
1: back upstairs.
0: Well, the children are upstairs
1: yeah I know but that would mean but that
0: means he killed them as soon as he came up the stairs then he went and killed the children and then, and then, he, then went, he came out and on his way down back down the stairs except for the little girls did he hit them He. I'm assuming he killed them first, first or maybe he killed them last I have no idea it boggles my mind because nobody woke there's a lot of people in that little house yeah and it is and a you little think, house there's no sound machines going like we're used to right now it is
1: quiet do you think there was more than one I don't
0: know. That's why this this kept me up because it's totally quiet. And all these people didn't wake up. Were they poisoned so that they'd sleep through it all? How did somebody do that then? And why would somebody want to do that? Well, they ate and drank at the picnic, though. They wouldn't have eaten at home.
1: Exactly. I don't know the whole it's it's the whole mess. So
0: they had a fingerprint expert. There's very few at this time, but they do have some this one was working in Leavenworth oh, and his dad was actually the warden of Leavenworth at the time was um, his Kansas ma- yes and I believe his name was McClothry they needed him and when he arrived he arrived hammered oh, stumbling God, drunk
1: what else can go wrong with this so
0: they had to care for him and the next day he went to investigate meaning all these people have been in and out of there and he's supposed to be de- taking fingerprints guess what he found nothing No usable fingerprints on the lamps, on the shades that the killer closed, on the mirror, even the axe itself. Nothing. However, he did find that the killer was left-handed. There were marks from the axe on the low gables above Sarah and Joe's bed. And these showed how the axe was swung. So he would have been, had to have been left-handed.
1: Interesting.
0: There were also marks on the ceiling in the boys' room up -hmm. on the second floor, but this ceiling was much higher than the low gables where the parents slept, and the marks had absolutely no relevance to the swinging of the axe, hitting the children. McClothery came to the conclusion, and not just him, several investigators, I guess, at the time, came to the conclusion that these cuts in the ceiling came from the killer in a, quote, mad frenzy, where... He would have stood in the center of the room holding the lamp, assumingly, because remember, it's totally dark mm-hmm. and he had to have this lamp to see around, but holding a lamp in one hand and holding the axe in the other hand and swinging it above his head wildly. That's what the marks looked like. Oh my gosh. Weird. So another clue was found in the other area, just off the landing. So there, like I said, there was two bedrooms off that landing, and the bedroom where the boy slept. But there was also an unfinished attic space up there, and in there they found two cigarette butts. Mm-hmm. Family does not smoke, right? So this leads people to believe the killer had been hiding in the home, waiting for the family to return from the children's event. That's it. No more evidence than that. The home was locked from the inside. No one woke up. There's four children in that one room and nobody woke up. There's no TVs or sound machines or sounds to,
1: I mean. It's It's a quiet town. It's not like there's music going on or anything. I
0: know. So after this, the town goes berserk. Locks were bought out. People (laughs) accusing others left and right. It tore friendships and families apart because nobody could trust anybody nobody knew who this was
1: oh my gosh this was
0: can you just imagine this had never happened in any of these people's lifetimes and all of a sudden an entire family is murdered with nothing with no evidence so i'm gonna talk about a couple theories there's a lot of theories there always is i mean this case is over 100 years old so i'm only gonna talk about a couple suspects just the top suspects out of all the research i did and i did i was so obsessed with this case i I mean i'm no ed epperly but you and ed (laughs) i spent a lot of time it was just it really it really kept me up so anyway a lot of townspeople believe the killer to be senator frank jones or at least he hired someone out to kill the family so he had been the senator of iowa and he had employed joe for a time but they became bitter business rivals when Joe started his business. It was also known around town that Joe had been having an affair oh, with Joe. Frank Jones's daughter-in-law. Known because the operators on the switchboard. Oh. So like Joe would call Frank's oh. daughter-in-law and be like, is he home? Can I come over?
1: And I mean, so. It's like Mayberry. They always called Sarah. <laughs> Anyway.
0: (laughs) Joe and Frank did not like each other to say the least. It is said that if one were to see the other walking on the street, they would cross so that they would not have to cross paths. So one theory was that... They both crossed together. (laughs) No, you you cross. No, 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 you cross. You're grosser. (laughs) Oh, God. So one theory was that Frank Jones had hired someone to kill him. One of those people being William Mansfield. So like I said, I am going to only cover the people that were tried. There were several suspects in this case and there's several theories, but I'm going to actually cover the people that were tried for it and people were actually taken in by the police under suspicion. Gotcha. So this is going to be William Mansfield. They believe he was hired by Frank Jones. Now Mansfield had been suspected of killing his mother and father-in-law, wife, and infant daughter. What? Their killings had similarities. They were all killed or bludgeoned with an axe. Oh, my gosh. The mirrors in the class were covered, but he was acquitted when payroll accounts showed he was working in Illinois at the time of those murders. <gasps> there was a case opened up against him, an investigator from Kansas City, actually, Wilkerson. He built a case, blaming him for the Velisca murders, built on the rumors of the townspeople of Velisca. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> he was actually sued for slander for doing this. It was this whole <laughs> big thing. I won't go into the whole thing, but that theory is basically nixed. So now there had been similar murders to the Moore's murders. Right. This is a, a railroad town, and it said that along the Southern Pacific Railroad there was a couple similar murders. So perhaps it was just a crazy man traveling by train, and these, and these. Other murders on the railroad were mirrors and glass covered, lamps le- left <laughs> lamps left at the bottom of the beds. This can go along with maybe, and this is a theory too, but maybe it's the axe murderer from New Orleans. Oh, Same time we period. Covered. We talked about that in episode four. The last suspect I'll talk about is the one I'm most curious about, and he was actually arrested and tried twice for these murders in Villisca,
1: but alas, was acquitted. They still didn't get it right. (laughs) Reverend
0: George Kelly. He was from England and would travel among the different farming communities preaching. Let's build his case, shall we? Number one, he was obsessed with the Villisca murders. Writing to the policemen, writing to the investigators, and even going through the house a few times, weeks, after the murders. How did he get in? I don't know, but he did. (laughs) Two, he had lit fires in at least one town he had presided in at a time. He was very mentally imbalanced. Mm -hmm. Three, earlier he had been arrested for, well, he was writing a book on human passion, and he pulled two 13-year-old girls out to his office for... Some human passion? Mm. Sicko. Was I on four? I don't have it numbered on my notes here. Okay, so another thing. (laughs) He had sent a bloody shirt to a cleaners in Omaha. Another thing. He was known to be very mentally unstable. He had been in and out of a few
1: mental institutions. So um, the bloody shirt that was before Villisca or after? After interesting
0: he had been known and caught on several occasions being a peeping tom so none of this really he's mentally unstable he has a thing for young kids i mean doesn't really all point to him but he had been a guest at the children's day program at the lutheran church the evening of the ninth and it is said that he was talking about the murders on the 519 a.m train out of aliska The morning of the tenth, so he knew about it. But nobody else, anybody else, would have known about it. And then, of course, there was his confession. He said, after the children's program, he couldn't sleep, and he was walking, and he saw these children going into the home and going to bed, and he heard the Lord's voice say, "Suffer the little children to come unto me." And he went, and the Lord provided there was the axe in the backyard, and he went into the home and quote, felt like he was climbing Jacob's ladder, and he killed the parents, and then the Lord said, still more to be done, and he went and killed the children. Long story short, he was arrested in 1917, and like I mentioned, he had two trials. The first one resulting in a hung jury, 11 to 1, acquittal, and the second trial, he was acquitted because they believe it was a forced confession. He showed up to court, with a black eye
1: oh jeez, which he could have given himself but-, but again
0: townspeople claim that frank jones himself did something they think he hired somebody maybe even using kelly's mental illness to cover up the murder okay question
1: mm-hmm. the two butts in the attic if yeah. that reverend did it that wouldn't explain those two butts I mean, it could. I mean, he's a psychopath, but
0: he could have gone in and killed the parents and then gone and smoked a cigarette up there in the attic. And then God said there's still work to be done. So then he went and killed the kids. True. But I don't I like mean anybody story. could have gone and taken a rest in there. Mom, I have no idea. Nobody has any idea. I think to be realistic, I want to say it was probably just because of the similar murders on the railway. Mm hmm. Throughout the four different states that it happened in, they're very similar. So I kind of want to like gut feeling say it was probably just that. But it just seems so personal to me. Like the door was locked from the inside. How did they have a key? like, how easy was the skeleton key that Brother Ross had? You know, your mind just goes into, oh, oh, here I go again. I'm not going to be able to sleep again tonight.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or you said the skeleton key could have been hidden. Could have been hidden. A family member could have 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 had it. We have no idea where
0: this key came from. Right. I mean, it just,
1: how did nobody wake up? That is the one that keeps throwing.
0: And if this was somebody from the town, how did they... Go on their deathbed and not say anything. And, like, yeah, he confessed. The Reverend confessed. But again, was it a forced confession? I mean, people were so desperate to find an answer to this, to
1: the more killings. So it's. Well, you said he was mentally unstable, too. Very so much so. He could have been a schizophrenic. He could have thought he did it mm-hmm. because he was so whacked out.
0: Yeah. I,
1: it is so mind boggling
0: to me. And I hate it. I hate, I hate it. <laughs> answers. <I> answers,
1: <hate> <sighs> An
0: unanswered call. So maybe the ghost gave you some answers? We're <laughs> <laughs> <Or> Zach Bagans. <laughs> I know they've been here to the Voloscax murder house. Dude, this house, is, dude, I just called you dude. Hey, dude, dude. So anyway, dude, <laughs> this is only, we're probably only four hours from this place. I want to go so badly. Oh. Uh. Not because it's haunted, but just because I'm so obsessed with this case now. I just want justice. Like, I, I hate what happened to those kids. I hate what happened to this family. So it's, but it's, oh, all right. I could sit here and talk forever about it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now you see why I, why I kept my husband up all night. <laughs>
1: poor guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, poor guy. <laughs> well, you are not alone in your search for the truth. Many people visit the home to find out who the killer is by speaking to. By speaky speaky to the spirits. speaky to the ghosties. <laughs> sorry. <clears throat> I haven't even drank much of my drink. I've been talking so much. So this is just, sorry. So there's not a whole lot of advertising or publicity to draw visitors to the simple white two-story home in Villisca, Iowa. There doesn't have to be. Mm -mm. It was a terrible event that happened in the house on the evening of June 9th, 1912, when the entire Moore family and two other little girls were slaughtered. And this is draw enough, it seems. Um, We have not talked about this at all, so I'm hoping not to repeat (laughs) too much. So at the time of the gruesome murders, they made the front page of the paper of course, this was a big thing, not only in Belisca, though, but nationwide. Oh, gosh. In fact, the news of the murders replaced the news about the sinking of the Titanic, mm. which happened about two months before this.
0: So, sorry, there were similar murders on the railroad. Why didn't those families get so much news coverage if they were so similar? I don't, What made the Moore family... Now I didn't look into all those other
1: murders that happened in the world. I think Maybe there were four others. That's something others. that we need to do. No, there we were three others. This three was others. the fourth one.
0: So w- w- why didn't they get so much publicity? Was it similar but not as many people? Or was it more out in the country? Was, was it, it right? Was it not as? Was the family not as prominent? Yeah. Was it just because they were a prominent family? Is a prominent businessman? Was it only because of like it? So, I don't know, but let's make a deal. Let's okay. let's look into that. We should. We really should. I want to know what those other three murders were, because that's not fair that those families didn't get
1: all this recognition. Right. So, okay, listeners. There you go. We're yeah. going to do a podcast on stuff that. stuff,
0: too, because I'm going to start looking into that. And I'm going to stop interrupting you. Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, this isn't right. <laughs> <laughs> so, the house is a draw for history buffs like Ed, I believe, mm-hmm. and he wants to uncover this as it's on the National Registry of Historic Places. But the biggest draw is for paranormal investigators and those just interested in true crime and supernatural, (laughs) like Killer Hangover. Like you guys (laughs) listening to this right now. (laughs) So many come to seek to uncover the name of the murderer, since the murders were never solved. And as I was looking into the paranormal aspects of the house, What I found most sinister, even though there are some paranormal things, but what I found most sinister besides the murders are the little details that the murderer left behind. Mm -hmm. The ones that you actually have mentioned, but the cigarette butts in the attic Mm -hmm. was the father a smoker or the mother a smoker and they were sneaking the smoke. I mean, maybe, but, you know, the bowl of bloodied water.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we didn't really even touch on that. That was but yeah. just
1: odd. The, Maybe he washed his hands and just some water. The cooked but uneaten breakfast? Yeah, it was uneaten. I mean, he cooked an entire breakfast. Right. And I then know. just left it by the, bloody, the bowl of bloody water. So
0: weird. God bless America. I'm never the covered
1: mares. Again. I know you said that the skirt was haphazardly, but I think he covered all the mares in the house. Mm-hmm. And the four pound slab of bacon yeah, that was found next to the murder weapon.
0: Now this is uncooked bacon, so it's not even like he's walking around now, with cooked that bacon. Not,
1: that is not what he cooked. It <laughs> was just a Golly. slab of bacon. As so far weird. as I'm concerned, those are creep factors on their own. I know it's I mean because it's so strange. After the murders, the house was owned by several other families, but never for long. It was a rental property and then just left abandoned. The city actually wanted to tear it down, but in nineteen ninety four Darwin and Martha Lynn stepped in and bought the property. And they still
0: own it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: They restored the house to how it was in 1910, tearing out the bathrooms and plumbing. Yep. Oh, wow. Tore it all out. Wow. Moved it to, back of the house is a store, but it's like an old kind of barn. Mm -hmm. And that's where they moved the plumbing, the bathroom and stuff for visitors. It's like an office now. Right. And a gift store. Gift store, yeah. They have pictures up and everything. Okay, they moved in antique furniture and fixtures and added pictures of the Moore family, the crime scene and the funeral. <sighs> they then opened the house for tours and overnight ghost haunts. As the saying goes, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way,
0: is in Iowa, Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. <laughs> It's like two hours from here. Believe me, I'm trying to talk Alex into taking a little Iowa trip. If I go to the Villisca Axe house, you can go to feel the dreams. Sorry. We'll not interrupt again. What
1: about that interruption? <laughs> the house has been the topic on such shows as da-da-da-da, Ghost Adventures. I roll. And the scariest places on earth, as well as podcasts, including Lore. My mm. favorite, Murder and Killer Hangover. I love lore. I love Killer Hangover. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm going to have a Killer Hangover after this
1: drink. <laughs> Is the house haunted? Yes. I found it interesting, actually, that there were mixed answers to that question. Really? Yes. Several articles that I read, people said that they visited the house several times and have not experienced anything
0: wow that's interesting
1: that did kind of throw me but other articles i read and there are more of these articles people said that the house is one of the most haunted in the u.s we get that a lot when we do our research <laughs> I know. this is the haunted. most haunted place in the united <laughs> states of america i remember the first time i read that i was like oh cool me i mean i think it was the
0: queen mary when you it shared was. it i was
1: like this is the most haunted <laughs> and i was and, but now and i remember thinking that's awesome i know me too but now it's just like <laughs> mm, another most haunted <laughs> people have reported doors opening and closing seeing black mist, hearing children's voices oh. footsteps etc all right i'm just going to share some videos that i've watched um okay. just shortly one video of a gal that i guess was trying to talk to ghosts and she was being recorded, and she was upstairs in the bedroom that the children were killed in. Yes. That bedroom had a door that led to the attic. Mm-hmm. This door is closed. It's this little teeny tiny, almost. You, ha- you would have to stoop to go into it. Okay. And it leads up to the attic. Anyway, the door is closed. And this gal was like, if you're there, you can open the door. You know, and, and after a while, the door actually opened. <gasps> But not very much. Just just a little bit. Oh, okay. You and then she's air. like, Okay, let's check the window. Let's check, you know, everything around yes, here. Yes, and, yes. And nope, nope, nothing was on. Because there's no air conditioning. Right, 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 right. Um, and the window was closed. All right. So then she's like, Okay, if you hear me, close the door. Now remember this is video and that you could edit. <laughs> mm, yeah. So somebody could pull a string. Once again, I'm the skeptic. I don't think anyone's pulling a string, but the door closed. <sighs> this happened a few more times, actually. OK. OK. Well, then, as I was reading like, um, responses to the video, you know, yes, comments, everybody and stuff. has something to say. But one gal made a really good analysis. Downstairs, whenever you open the door to come in, there's a draft that comes up and it comes up right where that door is so it could easily open the door yeah shoot and then you know even closing the door could easily pull the door closed yeah then there was another complete different video of a gal and again I think this was in the boys room a lot of people bring gifts to the children like other places that we've talked about so there were several balls in okay. the room. So this lady was sitting on the floor and she was literally and this one I'm not sure about. So she was oh, no. she was pushing the ball just lightly, just tapping the ball very gently, and the ball would then come rolling back to her. Okay. She'd push it and it come back to her. Oh my gosh. Then she'd like push it some in another direction and it would like kind of roll and come back to her.
0: Oh, my god. Then she
1: pushed it, like, to the corner of, like, by the door mm-hmm. and said to push it back to her. I mean, the whole time she's talking to right. her whatever. And the ball actually, I mean, it kind of rolled, 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 and rolled into the corner. So you think, okay, there might be a slant there. Right, right, right. It's an But then hump. the ball moved past the corner and rolled to her. It was really strange. That's so cool. It was it was really strange. But then somebody said, you know, I live in an old house mm-hmm. like this. The floorboards are so creaky. Oh, they're so wonky. and they're so warped. Yeah. And then it was like, but
0: even if something's warped, if you're pushing it in one direction, how does it come back towards you? I guess if it's slanted upwards. If it's slanted. But she's pushing it in several different directions. So yeah. either she
1: sat there and she really found some really good warped boards. Or we didn't see all the times it didn't come back. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm the skeptic. So, oh. But it was really, that one kind of caused me to kind of wonder. Yeah. Just sitting there watching yeah. it. sure. And of course, as I have often done, I went to Ghost Adventures. Oh gosh, because you and <laughs> Ghost Adventures. I just... I think that is the most entertaining show. I love how dramatic they are. We just that's, watch and laugh. I hate that, but we do. I, I love the but uh, They go to re- to really cool places. They do and they do cool things, but it's very theatrical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not a slam. <laughs> Cuz we watch so and it's not a slam. So, I did go back and watch episodes that involved this case. Season 4, episode 13. One of the people Zach spoke to was a paranormal investigator who said that his EVP recorder picked up a male voice saying "Legion" when asked who was in the room. Now "Legion" means many. Shortly, it does. yeah, okay. Shortly after that, investigator learn something new.
0: Take a drink.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Shortly after that, the investigator fell ill. He felt really hot, and then he felt a br- wow. He felt a burning on his back. I feel a
0: burning down my throat (laughs) as I just downed that drink. Holy
1: smokes. When the others looked at his back, he had three scratches running down his back and a single scratch on his lower back going right, forming the letter L. Was that for Legion? When doing their own EVP readings, Zach and his crew picked up several voices. When asked, why did you kill the children? A male voice responded, because they don't step in heaven yet weird response, but I did hear it, and it did actually sound oh, like that. Sounds like something a reverend would say. Mm-hmm. Another time when asked who the murderer was, a male voice responded, Andy. Now, Andy was not somebody that you had mentioned. No, I didn't, but
0: I know, I believe from my research, I remember.
1: Didn't he work on the railroad? He did, and he carried an axe everywhere he went. He carried went, an axe. And he was... He, was, um,
0: and I rem- he wasn't totally mentally fine no and he had a few cookies loose as we say uh-huh and had several cookies i loose. remember reading something about he was really obsessed with the case and like they found newspaper clippings that he kept right of the murders right but they couldn't pin anything they on couldn't him. pin anything they had absolutely no fact he wasn't even a local like he kind of bounced around different
1: right am i right yeah he was like connected to the railroad also in some way yeah is somebody that the townspeople you know, kept saying, look at him, look at him. They gossiped
0: a lot. Mm-hmm. There There is some Jenny well, Kathy's
1: there for sure. You know what? That goes with the territory, I think. I think Especially that would even happen nowadays. Town. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. That was odd. Another one asked who was in the room. I don't room, know. That was odd. <laughs> a child answered. So, they asked who's in the room. A child answered, Lena. Oh, no. And it really did sound like that, but, the you little- know.
0: The still under girl.
1: Oh, a creepy video that was caught on one of the stationary cameras. You know how they put their little stationary cameras throughout the house?
0: Their ex-cameras, mom? Yeah, those. <laughs> um,
1: and they Crap, have... The Crap, con- I watch too much of this show. <laughs> they have the control center and stuff. Right. So they're watching these. Okay, so the door upstairs is wide open. So this could not be... And it's a different door than what the gal was. Right. Okay. It's white. I mean, the door is against the wall. Totally wide open. Okay. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the door just swings violently shut and slams. Now, there's no way a draft can do that. Oh, boy. No way a draft can do that. I mean, the whole door just all of a sudden moved from the wall and slammed shut. And the camera caught it. Oh, my god! That was crazy. I have to admit, that was really crazy. Oh, I just got chills. One of the most interesting interviews that Zach did on the show was with two sisters, Linda Cloud and Patty Williamson, who actually lived in the house when they were young. The sisters were not together when they were interviewed. Okay. So they both described spending the night in the house for the first few nights, sleeping in the living room. Both state that they heard children's voices and children crying. No one believed them when they reported what they had heard. Another scene they witnessed involved their father. He would often sharpen the family's knives. One day he was sharpening a knife, and as one does, he was running the blade in a forward motion, when all of a sudden it looked like a pressure was being put on his hand. It turned his hand, and it looked like he was fighting it to keep his hand from moving towards him, But he lost out and the knife came back and slit his left hand open. What? Yeah. And both women separately described the exact same scene because they both watched it happen. That's so weird. Both women were very shaken as their interviews progressed. Linda had to sit. All of a sudden she was just like, I have to sit down. I have to sit down. And she said her energy, it seemed like, was drained from her legs all the way She just felt her energy going from her legs all the way up through her head. It was gone.
0: Oh, wow. So
1: she had to sit down. But she also said that she's just drawn to the house and she doesn't know why.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: And she kind of thinks that maybe the children are drawing her there to help them pass over. Patty, the other sister, actually, oh, my gosh, she was so... You could tell she was so nervous. I mean... Right away, she kept grabbing her hand and just mm. like, you know, doing. Just wringing her wringing hands. Her hands. And, and she just looked so, oh, so distraught. And as the interview progressed, she just got more and more distraught. And both sisters, I mean, it's probably barely warm in the house, but I noticed Zach wasn't sweating. But both of these ladies had beads of sweat on their face. Mm. So she just got so visibly upset she ran out of the house oh my gosh and she said i hate i hate that house
0: it's so interesting how it affects people so differently
1: yeah and when they moved into this house both women said this they had didn't know anything about the history of the house even with the
0: town being as small as it was nobody this was
1: many 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 years later but still the town's small it's such a gruesome act that but it... these are little these are little girls that moved in there maybe they're parents knew oh, it. oh
0: i see what you're saying okay i thought you meant like the parents didn't know and i was like no maybe how the parents... in the
1: small town did they not know several years later as we all well as you and i know ghost adventures did several episode called aftershock yes and they invited well in aftershock they invite people back to be interviewed that had been in previous ghost adventure shows mm-hmm. these two sisters were called back <coughs> you're dying over there yeah my throat's really dry They were called back in season one and episode two. It was revealed on that episode that two years before the family had moved to the Villisca house, the house that they were living in previously had burned to the ground, killing five of their younger siblings. Zach made a comment about how some people seem to be drawn to negative energy and that it was odd that five siblings were killed and then they moved to a house two years later where children had been killed that's so i know it's a weird coincidence such a weird coincidence both sisters came across to the viewer as still being very nervous when talking about the house linda shared that after her interview with zach in the house she had gone home she and her husband i think it was her husband were alone in the house working in the living room on their computers All of a sudden, they heard a cabinet opening in the kitchen, and then plates and bowls shattering on the kitchen floor.
0: And she's the one that felt attached to Mm -hmm. the home?
1: But had something followed her home. Oh, gosh. She is the one who... So
0: they'd not had anything
1: happen in their home, and then all of a sudden... Yeah. And she was the one who lost all her energy and had to sit down. Jeez. On the AfterShot show, Zach also interviewed Katie Savick, and Katie was a skeptic when it came to the supernatural. Her brother and some friends talked her into staying the night at the Valeska home, you know, to do the ghost haunts. Yes, yes. Thinking that the idea was silly, but whatever. She went with them, and she quickly changed her opinion. (laughs) She said that as soon as she entered the house, she felt... Mm, something different she couldn't describe it then as she and her friend were ascending the stairs to the attic she started sensing a truly weird feeling she said she was drawn to the attic she peeked inside and suddenly felt very hot then her head started hurting and she started becoming very upset heading out of the room and down the stairs her head was hurting so bad she could hardly see she still felt very upset and the back of her neck was now on fire When her brother looked at her neck, he found scratch marks. Katie is now a believer. I mean, she was so close to tears, if not bursting into tears when she was explaining her experience to Zach.
0: She had some, like, empathy, like, her head hurt, they were bludgeoned. It was so crazy.
1: And this is somebody who was not walking in there wanting to experience anything. No, she was just going in to have a fun evening with her friends, kind of humoring her brother, and Yeah. yeah. So... Here's another very odd story. Totally leaving Ghost Adventures and moving on to a news story. That isn't news story. That's a news story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On November 6, 2014, a 37-year-old Robert Stephen Larson Jr. went with friends to the Villisca home to do some overnight recreational paranormal investigation. Okay. So what happened next is to me is so totally bizarre. For some reason, Larson was alone in the house and his friends were outside. Nope. Nope. They suddenly heard him shouting for help. They rushed into the house, finding Larson with a knife in his chest. What? He had stabbed himself. If that isn't weird on its own, here's another strange coincidence. Larson stabbed himself around 12 1224 which happens to be around the same time that the axe murders that they think the axe murders happened mm-hmm. could he have done it to get attention i don't know but i mean
0: nobody will ever know
1: by the way nobody it, will know why larson got stabbed nobody will know what happened in the Velisca axe murder house period by the way his stabbing also made national news oh he recovered okay good they had it to like fly him to I mean it was an emergency I and mean, he stabbed himself well <laughs> jeez oh my gosh so after doing this reach search it seems to me that maybe there just might be some unfinished business at the belesca axe murder house yeah
0: it sounds like the kids might be there with the children's noises and playing and stuff but it sounds like the bad guys still there too which is god he already took their lives why does he have to be there with them now okay and...
1: i don't know this for sure but i'm pretty sure <laughs> if they have open it for night times like spending the night there oh there's going to be tons many of ouija boards, and people and how many ouija boards so have been there. done yeah, How yeah, yeah. seances? how many of that horrible stuff that i can't stand have been done in that house to open a portal yeah there could be so much in that house right yeah. now that people have opened the That's door really to. That's really
0: unfortunate. Just like there was all those people in there that ruined the investigation. Now there's all these people in there. Now there's a bunch of dead people. <laughs> dead people in there.
1: <laughs> Crap. We will never, never, never know. So creep out at the Ballisca X murder house. Ah, oh! well, I'll be sleeping again. <laughs> gosh darn it
0: seriously though (sighs) all right well next week we're covering stories in idaho
1: don't say it like that it's gonna be exciting (laughs) (laughs) i'm covering it and i'm super super
0: stoked yes 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 episode 21 is gonna be in idaho and we're very excited i will hopefully move on past my depression you will because this is
1: so intriguing okay
0: Guys, if you've been to the Velisca Axe Murder House, if you find or know anything about the other murders that happened on the railroad, I'm going to start diving into that. Good. Send them to us. Send us what you know. I'd be curious to see what's out there. You can email us at podcast at gmail.com or you can message us. On Facebook you can find us a killer hangover podcast I'll also post pictures from this episode from the crime scene and maybe we'll find some YouTube paranormal videos that we can post to our page as well you can also find us on Instagram at killer hangover remember if you try any of the drinks to tag us yes and use the hashtag either killer hangover podcast or loose cookies or don't roll your face at me you know one of those lovely sayings that
1: Bethia will be posting the um, lovely ingredients to, to yes I've been
0: posting drinks every Friday I mean TGIF so I'll post the ingredients the recipes to the drinks that we're drinking every Friday after the episode so you can enjoy the beverage and if you haven't listened to the episode by Friday you can enjoy the beverage while you're, well, listening, you're listening to the episode listen. with us and
1: looking at the pictures
0: yes exactly wow you can get really involved
1: <laughs> Unless you have better things to do on a Friday, but <laughs> no judging one way or the other. They've stopped <laughs> listening already. Let's, let's just be honest. Okay. I'm not going to say that it was fun tonight because it, <sighs> it was pretty deep, but.
0: Yeah. But it was fun hanging out with you and sharing all this history
1: and research we've done. Definitely. All oh. right. Cheers, mama. Cheers. Love you, kid.